we're talking about great expectations. Have you ever decided that you knew something about, uh, I don't know, an institution? You'd made up your mind about a particular business or you knew all that there was to know about, a, a, I don't know, a job or a, I don't, anything, a book, a story, or a person. This, is, this has probably happened to all of us. We, we, we develop in our minds uh, pictures, expectations. We, we sort of decide what it is that we know about a person. And then we come to realize later on that we didn't really know what we thought we knew. This happened to me when I first started uh, working at Chisholm Trail Academy, a little school down the road, you've probably heard of it before. And uh, it was uh, well, it's a few years ago now. And this was uh, during my first few days, we have staff worship in the morning and a, a little meeting after every day. And you know, I, I go in and uh, I take the only seat that's not already taken. Cause you know, people are creatures of habit. And so you're like, you're looking at where everybody sits and you're like, I'll sit where no one else sits because that's probably my seat now uh, <laughs> and the seat that was available was the seat to the right of Jim Sickler our AD and coach and so I sit next to him and I'm thinking you know it's my new it's a new job and I'm just trying to like talk with people just trying to get to know people okay you know and so you're like like I, I lean over and I just you know I say hello and he says nothing and I was like oh okay well maybe it's a rough morning okay you know we all have bad days it's fine it's cool you know, and then like I try the next day and the same thing happens and the next day and sometimes I'll like ask him questions and sometimes he'll respond but more often than not he won't and so I start to develop in the back of my mind this feeling of like man, this guy really hates me like he must really not like me like he's just all the time just ignoring me and so time goes by and then uh, the principal at the time Tommy Simons uh, who happens to I didn't know this who happens to be best friends with Jim Sickler. They grew up, they went to school together, they've worked together, they've known each other, they've been best pals for eons. Comes up to me, he's like, so how are you liking things at CTA? And I said, oh, they're just, they're wonderful, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and, and it just seems like all the staff is really like liking you and you're just fitting in well, it's going really well. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, what, what, what's the problem? I was like, well, I don't, I don't think everybody likes me. He's like, oh, don't worry about Mrs. Connell. She's, she's like, <laughs> No, no, no. And I said, no, it's not, it's not her. No, she didn't say that. Uh, I said, no, it's Jim Sickler. I don't think he likes me. And he says, why do you think that? And I said, uh, well, because when I talk to him, he just ignores me. And he said, what do you mean? I said, every morning I sit next to him and I, you know, I say hi or good morning or I'll ask him a question, whatever, try to inter interact with him. And he says nothing. Or sometimes he'll, most often he'll say nothing. Every now and then he'll, he'll say something. But but, you know, most often he says nothing to me at all. And he just starts laughing. He just starts laughing uncontrollably. And I said, well, what's going on, Tommy? Can you, like, let me in on what, what, what's so funny? Like, <laughs> this is kind of hurting my feelings. And he says, you don't understand. Jim, uh, and he tells me this whole story about Jim, and he has this amazing testimony. He had, he had cancer, and he can't, can't hear out of his right ear. I had made up my mind. I had made up my mind. I was convinced I knew the situation, and I had put uh, Jim Sickler in a box. I was, I was sure the man hated me, and I could not have been more wrong. Uh, turns out that he's a fantastic human being, 
We get along marvelously now that I know to talk to you on the other side. And uh, we laugh about this all the time now. But we do this all the time. We, we, we start to develop ideas about things, preconceived notions about how the world is working and how people are, and we do it with everything. Most especially Jesus. You know, God's people about 2,000 years ago were convinced they knew what to expect from the Messiah. They were looking for a domineering personality with an authoritarian leadership style to show up and take charge. They were looking for a military hero that would lead them to victory over the Roman occupation. They imagined spectacle and fanfare upon his arrival. They thought he would match their conventional view of glory and royalty. What they got could not have been more different from what they were expecting. Let's take a little look at the story. It's in Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world. This was the census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married, so they're not married yet, to him and was already expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, other translations say swaddling cloths, in other words, cloth that was just around, she ripped up pieces of cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I've often heard this story told in an idealized way. <clears throat> Have you seen a nativity lately? I was half expecting one to be up here on stage with me. They're awfully sanitized versions of the, th the real thing now, aren't they? They don't, they don't smell like they've been in a barn. I have a nativity in my house, and it's beautiful. It's, 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 uh, it's got like gold painting on it and silver painting, and it's got those little sparkly bits that go all over. It's covered, in, uh, uh, it's covered up in uh, glitter and all sorts of beautiful things. We won't make mention of the fact that they're all white people, but it's a really, really beautiful depiction of an event that actually took place outside with animals and all the things that come with animals. It's probably actually muddy. It's probably covered in hay. There's probably animal excrement here and there and everywhere. Emmanuel, God with us, laid in a food trough for animals. In the depictions of the manger that I've always seen, I don't see any of the food still like crusted and falling off the side of the food trough. Do you? The story is upside down. It's backwards. It is not at all what anyone was expecting. This was not the story God's people were telling themselves about the advent. 
To add insult to injury, I've rarely have ever heard a story about why Mary likely traveled with Joseph. They weren't married yet, and Joseph could have gone to Bethlehem for the census without her. There wasn't a need for her to travel. It almost seems odd when you start to think about it. I remember when uh, one of my friends uh, uh, was expecting, uh, and she and her husband would never travel more than like 20 or 30 miles away from the hospital towards the end of her pregnancy. Mary is on the back of an animal traveling far away from home, far away from her support system and everyone she knows. Why is she there? One scholar theorizes that it's quite possible that she had lost her support system. It's quite possible that she had become ostracized and othered from her community at a critical time in her life. Joseph may have taken her because she had nowhere else to go. Makes me wonder about how we might treat Mary if she walked through our doors today. Would we surround her with support through her pregnancy? Would we offer to drive her to her checkups? Would Mary have been able to depend on our communities for support? Would we have thrown her a baby shower? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. Come on. Let's jump back into the rest of the story. We got a whole other speaker. I could go further, but we are pressed for time. Verse 8. And there were shepherds lying out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. We bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. It's the very first time that we hear the Uelongeli, the, the, the good news, the gospel message right there. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. They're going to describe the situation so that they know when they arrive that they're going to see it correctly. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger, a food trough. How do we make that modern? So if the advent happened today, how would it happen? So the angels show up to you and they say, hey, guess what? Great news. Jesus has just been born. He's in the town of Cleburne. No, no, no. Or, or Alvarado. Alvarado, yeah. And you go, what? And they say, yeah, and the way that you'll know that you found him when you get all the way over there is he's going to be outside of the 7-Eleven uh, with his parents underneath a cardboard box. We don't hear the story anymore, do we? This is not at all what anyone was expecting. Everything about the nativity story confounds expectations because the story about Jesus because it is a story about Jesus and he will never fit inside of our box. Why is he born in such a humble circumstance? One scholar has this to say about it. That there was no room in the end was symbolic of what was to happen to Jesus. 
The only place where there was room for him was on a cross. It goes against conventional thinking. You would sooner run out of words and all the languages and all the world than overstate the glory and splendor of Jesus. We don't make enough about him, but here at his birth and then at his death and one day his return, we find him constantly defying our expectations. I invite you to do this, to leave room for God to surprise you. You might think that he's not listening. You might take his silence to mean that he does not care, but save room for the possibility that there is more to the situation going on than you can see. Save room to be surprised by Jesus.